Uh, hey, everyone. Just a reminder to tell Joe's mom she looks like she lost weight because I accidentally parked on the grass again. Hey, guys. Mics are hot. Quiet on the set. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you're looking to crush your 2021 financial goals, real estate is a great way to do it. Today's guest, Alan Corey, a millionaire by age 30, joins us to talk about lessons from his new book, House Fire, How to Be a Red Hot Real Estate Millionaire. Wait, uh, I'm I'm not sure. Why are we lighting things on fire? Is this some sort of homeowner insurance ploy? Oh, I don't get it. So I'm excited to hear Joe unpack this one. Plus, what would you like to see in your 401k plan? maybe the ability to buy crypto? One company asked you what you want and you still might be surprised by the results during our headline segment. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Bill who's got some questions about portfolio rebalancing. And I'll stay on point with some real estate related trivia. And now, two guys who might finally learn that investing in your basement real estate isn't the end of the world it's Joe and O J-J-J-J-J-G. It's the shag carpet that definitely made the difference. And the fact that this week, well, as of today, I got the basement to myself. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And instead of being over at the card table, I actually have uh, scooted my chair over here to dad shortwave radio where from an undisclosed location and we we talked about on monday how he was going on vacation and uh how was your trip around the united states mr og so far super awesome thank you for asking it's a lot different driving to michigan than it is flying uh it takes a lot longer you probably know that we were greeted with lots of surprises here uh we were greeted with the surprise of uh, the internet is a little different than what we expected. We were told one thing, we got a different thing. So, uh, sorry for the, uh, for the terrible audio, but, uh, well, there's something else going on here. There's something else going on here too, which is really cool, which is also you have visitors, which I always, I don't know about you. I love seeing, uh, more people. Big fan of hanging out with family. It's one of my pastimes because, uh, having them in our house from April the 27th and until June the 2nd wasn't enough. We've decided to also (laughs) extend that vacation and quality family time to our uh, up north vacation with some extended family and some other people. So really quite awesome to see everybody here and uh, be able to hang out. (laughs) With with Alan Corey on today talking about house fire, it sounds like you really wouldn't mind a house fire. Like (laughs) that might be be okay. It might be a little dark, but that might be okay. Of course, Alan Corey's going to talk about financial independence, but uh, you may be thinking about the other side of that word. Great show today coming up. We've got Alan Corey waiting in the wings. We also have a fantastic headline, but first this episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. 
State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We got a great show today. We got OG from... The deepest, darkest uh, points of Michigan. We've got a great headline and Alan Corey talking about using real estate to grow your nest egg. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Morningstar.com. And uh, Stan Traeger wrote this one. OG, and it's called Who Wants Cryptocurrency in Their Retirement Plan? I know you've been begging for crypto in your retirement plan. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That would be a great idea. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, Stan writes, remember that when a guy back in Florida struck a deal to pay for two pizzas with Bitcoin back in 2010? It was a bizarre event at the time. And yet today, 11 years after that infamous purchase, Bitcoin in the larger concept of cryptocurrency or household names. The use of cryptocurrency in the financial industry remains controversial, but it's making moves to our broader acceptance. What that guy paid for those two pizzas be worth $380 million today or $320 million or $480 million, depending on when you're listening to this. And Coinbase, the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the United States, recently issued its IPO. So with cryptocurrency at the forefront OG of everybody's mind, Stan decided to ask participants in a recent survey the question, he said, rank the set of 16 potential retirement plan features, including crypto, in order to of most to least preferred. On a scale of 1 to 16. That makes sense. That's a number scale that we all use that, regularly. That, don't you always tell people, on a scale of 1 to 16, how does this hurt? <laughs> exactly. Did your doctor use that? Uh, crypto comes in at number five. Number one. The number one thing people want in their retirement portfolio, and it is available widely, the number one thing people want. What do you think it is? More matching. 
that is number six, believe it or not. An employer match is number six. And, and crypto is number five ahead of match. Number one is the availability of professionally managed set it and forget it investment options like target date funds. Nice. It's the number yeah. one thing. And, and what's even more funny is that if you look at the costs associated with buying crypto for everybody who is hyper vigilant over their 401k fees, and yet those that, that same group of people want crypto in their 401k, those two things don't match. <laughs> it's yeah. like $5 to buy a do a transaction in crypto or 3% or something like that. But we'll clamor over that to get it. But it goes up 7 million percent. I'll take it. Okay. Well, it is interesting. I mean, let's let's dive into these and then I'm going to come back because I want to come back to what you just said. Number two is auto escalation over time. The amount you contribute increases automatically. Number three is the availability of alternative investments, real estate, investment trust, commodities, and that type of thing. So you can wreck your own portfolio. Number, number four, the, exactly. the option to make Roth contributions. Man, that should be closer to the top. Number five is cryptos. Number six is match. Number seven is more investment choices. Number eight, a means to roll over funds from other retirement plans. Number nine, the availability of investments focused on uh, ESG, environmental, social, and governance. And number 10 is the availability of professional advice. When we look at number one, though, OG, it looks like what people mostly want in their 401k is to keep it easy, is to make sure that the 401k is very easy to use. Well, looking at number one and number two, right? Auto escalation. Right. I want the ability to make it easy to put money into and easily for my contributions to rise. Yeah. And you can do both of those things on your own. You don't actually need to have that done for you. You know, you can just set an alarm on your phone every six months to add half a percent to your retirement plan. And by the way, you already have a built-in auto escalation plan anyway, if your company gives you any sort of reasonable pay raises from time to time, right? Because when you set it as a percentage until you get to the maximum, until you get to the 19.5, as you set it as a percentage, every time you get a pay raise, your your percent goes up automatically. So so that's that. And, and then the first one about the kind of simple investment plan, you can make yourself a simple investment plan either you know, we don't like target date funds very much, but, you know, use them or create your own with three or four uh, uh, investment selections within the plan. I like what you're saying here, because I think you can even widen it from the 401k, can't you? To say, okay, there's this thing I want to do. How do I make sure I not only do this one time, but I, but I make it easy, whether it's saving automatically outside my 401k or checking my insurances or whatever. It seems like you could do the same thing for your entire plan. Yeah. And, and, you know, the research has shown, obviously, the simpler that you make your financial plan, the more likely it is that you'll stick to it and that you'll achieve your goals. Well, wait a minute, though. It, but, but here's the deal. You say, obviously, it seems obvious when you say it, but you look at people's financial plans all the time. I look at sometimes people's financial plans. We seem to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Well, that's what I was going to say is that when you look at some of these other things on this list and you say, I want more, you know, esoteric investment choices. It's like, you don't need those things to be financially successful. You don't need to have to invest in oil derricks in the Gulf of Mexico to be financially successful. You can do it without those things. You know, ESG is a great emerging area now. And, you know, you can have large company funds that are ESG funds, which is, which is fine too. So that's probably on the horizon sooner than later. You can use the Roth option like we mentioned before, but you don't need all of the complicated stuff. You don't need to put 
Bitcoin in your 401k to be successful. It may make you more financially successful or not. Just like investing in private equity funds in your 401k or other, you know, other things like that may make, you know, you may end up more financially successful or you may not, but you don't need to have it to be successful. And more doesn't always equal better. Right. I think that's a great uh, place to leave our headline. Hey, I've got uh, a dude here who wants to get to some trivia, seems to have something on his mind. So take it away, Doug. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. But you already knew that, right? And with Alan Corey about to stop by, I've got the fire extinguisher ready because house fire? Really? This guy might be starting a fire in his own house? But we don't tolerate those shenanigans around these parts. No, we don't. We're professionals in the truest sense of the word. You ever heard of Airbnb, Alan? That's a legit way for you to make money in real estate that doesn't involve this kind of wanton destruction. Which reminds me, before Airbnb, your main option for staying in another city overnight was hotels. So today's trivia question is this. In what city was the first hotel in the United States? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can start a fire of your own. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. 
Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and so far, so good. Alan must not have gotten loose because I am yet to put this fire extinguisher to use. But wouldn't it be pretty cool if I got to bust this puppy out? I mean, <laughs> it's so awesome. These things are great. People have always said that I have the looks to be a firefighter. I mean, if you're all going to twist my arm, fine. I'll come out with a Doug firefighter calendar. I mean, I'm just a hop, skip, and a jump from that anyway. But make sure you pick it up with gloves because it is going to be hot, hot, hot. Ouch. So hot. You don't want to miss this fire, stackers. Hey, before I head off to think through my poses, anybody know where the gun show is? Let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, where was the first hotel in the United States? In the fall of 1794, the first hotel in America was open for business. The City Hotel at the corner of Broadway and Thames Street near Trinity Church in New York City was the first American structure to be designated and built as a hotel. Bring on Alan Corey and maybe a little fire. I'm ready for that dude. See ya. Well, contrary to what uh, Doug may think, and uh, I, we probably don't want him doing the uh, firefighter calendar. Oh, gee, we, we may want to nix that in the bud. Yeah. Uh, away from that, Alan Corey is our guest today. You may have seen Alan if you've also been a fan of the real estate channel Bigger Pockets over there. Alan Corey is a guy who's very well connected in the real estate space. He's known for becoming a millionaire at age 30, but you know what else I like? I like the fact that he's known for his very approachable, anybody can do this attitude and where sometimes you'll hear people tell you about how savvy they are and how much smarter than you they are. Alan, who I think is just a brilliant guy, always comes across like the guy that if Alan can do it, you know what? We can do it. And that, by the way, being able to do that is why I think Alan Corey is such a genius. Alan has a very large portfolio now of houses and apartment buildings. We'll ask him how many he currently has here in a moment. And let's talk to him about getting where you want to go with your money, getting financially independent and retiring early with your money. Say hello to Alan Corey. And it's funny because I've known of you forever. It's about time I finally got to know you, Alan. Thanks for inviting me to the basement. It was getting awkward upstairs with your mother. I just got <laughs> my 10th cup of coffee. I'm like, am I ever going to get that invite? I and by the it. way, if there's a guy that needs the 10th cup of coffee, I will say definitively, it's not you. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. I've got enough energy already. <laughs> well, let's dive in, my friend, because you start off your book, your new book, by saying, don't dream about being rich, get rich dreaming. And I like that as a beginning, but I'm really wondering what's what's in your head when you say that phrase? It's basically having your money work for you while, while you're sleeping and dreaming, right? I've found a way through real estate to make that happen. We're basically a business that doesn't require my day-to-day, hour-to-hour attention, uh, maybe 
two hours out of the month. I, I have to deal with something. But most of that time, I'm sleeping during that month, but I still end up making income and cash flow and getting paid while I'm in my pajamas, which, you, you, which is a pretty, pretty good gig. <laughs> that is a good gig. I'm not wearing pants right now. So, hey. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, you got good like, Ellen's like, and I'm sitting across from you and that's creepy, but whatever. <laughs> we, uh, um, uh, But you had that job, right? At one point, you had that nine to five job and it wasn't working for you. It was. I did tech support for about 10 years and I could never control my income uh, in that job. Like it, it required other people approving bonuses and giving me raises. And honestly, you know, if I worked so hard, there was definitely no guarantee that I would get a raise even, right? You know, the, the business could still be sold or collapse or whatnot. And so I had to go out and decided I was going to take my income and my outcome and the control for myself. And that was going out investing in, in real estate. Do you come from a family of investors from people that work for themselves or was this new? No, both my parents are public school teachers and um, think I'm the craziest person in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Which, so, by the way, uh, I'm going to. This was all self taught. <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead because I was going to ask you this later. You also make a point of saying some of these big things that we're going to talk about today about dreaming and about building a real estate empire. You shouldn't tell your family and friends about this. Why is that? Well, because they don't understand it and they're going to bring you down. They're going to tell you all the horror stories and just freak you out. And it's not as scary because most landlords they become landlords out of inheritance. That's your typical mom and pop landlord. So something was thrown at them while they're grieving and they have no interest in real estate. And then they're the ones who talk about how terrible it is, how they're getting calls at three o'clock in the morning for a toilet and the tenant doesn't pay. And basically they're unprepared to be landlords. If that is your story and that's most people's story, if you're not in the real estate world or if you've not read a book about real estate or listened to a podcast about real estate or whatever it is, it's not like that at all if you go prepared, just like if you wouldn't go camping in the wilderness unprepared. But if your parents died and someone threw you in the woods, you'd complain a lot about <laughs> camping. <laughs> and complaining is the least of your worries too, right? Right, right exactly. <laughs> you exactly. might starve yeah. while you're bitching the whole way. <laughs> right. That doesn't mean it's not well-meaning, right? I think I just want to parse this for our listeners. People can give you well-meaning advice. I mean, they want what's best for you, and but they just don't know. Right, right. You know, people are familiar with the buckets and the crab syndrome where you put all 10 crabs in a bucket and they can actually get out, but someone always pulls the one down, like they climb on top of each other and keep each other from growing and escaping or whatever freedom that they want. I believe it is well-meaning. I always like to get my advice from people who have done it. So if you're getting your advice from people who have never done it, that's that's one thing. Or if you're getting advice from someone who's inherited a property, that's one thing. But also, I think bad stories make you a better real estate investor because you learn from experience. Three times I've applied for graduate school because I'm like, I want to learn about real estate. And I do all the applications and the interviews and I get in and then I get hit with this tuition bill. It's like, oh, by the way, for, for two years, it's going to be $100,000. And I'm like, I'd rather spend $100,000 failing on buying a real estate property that I have no means doing because I'm going to learn way more doing that than I will in a classroom. And all three times I spent that $100,000, I've doubled them, that money. So I'm like, well, I'm glad I, I 
work in experience rather than sort of the the school book education, which where a lot of people just get frozen on and they first time are freeze. They read all about it and they still can't make that move. But for me, it's I'd rather make that move and lose my money and call it tuition. I want to talk about your experience. Uh, by the way, you wrote a, a book. Your first book was A Million Bucks by 30. But for people who didn't read that, let's talk about your path. Tell me about when you first decided, Alan, that you wanted, I guess we'll put air quotes around the word more. When did you want more? Yeah, I, I moved to New York at the age of 21, right after college. I just was surrounded by wealth. I never had money. I didn't come from a family of money. I came from a family of penny pitchers. I, I was just like, how are people so wealthy here? Uh, like you just see the fancy cars. Like I, I could barely afford a slice of pizza. And so um, I devoured every single book I could on personal finance and wealth creation and real estate investing and stocks and mutual funds. And I was like, what's going to work for me? And it just made sense that I connected quickly with real estate because I've lived in a house. I know what a house looks like. Okay, I can do this. But for stocks, I just felt like I wasn't in control. I couldn't go walk into a boardroom and say, hey, CEO, uh, raise your prices and fire that guy. But I can do that when I own a property, right? I, I, I control everything. So I wanted to be in control. I just felt like just at my day job, I wasn't in control. And so I was like, I'm never going to get wealthy unless I can control my own destiny and my own finances. And so I figured out, well, this is my income. If I could just buy one property a year for five years, that was my goal. I could replace my entire income. All I needed was $100, $200 in cash flow each month. And if I did that for five years in a row, I felt like I could leave my day job and be financially free. Did that math end up working out? Can you really do it with five houses? Because you say in your yeah. book that you were drunk on boxed wine when you did that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, uh, <laughs> yes, it, it can. The way I look at it, and what's different, and, and your audience might be familiar with the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence and Retire Early. That whole philosophy is saving, 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 and then you retire once you have like a million dollars in your bank account. And that turns so many people off because it's like, wait a minute, I got to be a millionaire first? Yeah, of course. I, I can retire once I'm a millionaire and I have to live on a budget once I become a millionaire. So you are a millionaire, but you can't live like a millionaire. And that's a hard thing to pitch. Um, but real estate, you don't have to become a millionaire before you can retire. And what I did is I just took every bill in my life. So let's start with $150 internet bill. I know I will never escape this $150 internet bill unless I want to go to the library and read stupid forwards from my aunt uh, every time I check my email. But so $150, the fire principle is save 25 times that annual expense. So that is $45,000 a year. So if you save $45,000 a year, and you withdraw 4% of that every single year, you'll have your $150 internet bill paid every month. Real estate says, well, that's crazy. Why don't you take $20,000? That, that's half, $22,500. Let's call it that. You take half of that amount, you can go buy a house for $100,000. That's a 20% down payment, $2,500 for closing costs. That's going to cash flow you $150 a month. That $150 pays for my internet bill. I didn't have to become a millionaire. I didn't have to save $45,000. I only had to save half that amount. That's the beauty of house fire. I, I burned every bill with house fire. So I just went through every bill in my life, found a rental property to cover that bill. And once you do about five of those, that's going to cover your utility bills and your transportation bills, a portion of your food bill. You're, you're going to be pretty set. You're going to be financially free in, in five homes. You don't have to be a real estate mogul. 
you, you might become one. And so that warning to everyone, you might become ridiculously rich, but I fell in love with it. And I just, I was like, Oh, I'll just keep doing this every year. And now I'm buying five a month instead of uh, five, one a year. I wanted to ask you that next. How many houses do you own now or how many different doors do yeah. you own now? Um, it's over 200 doors. Uh, I've got over 50 single family homes and a couple apartment complexes uh, personally. And then I've got more with that that I've partnered with others. I'm assuming now that you say five a month versus five, one per year, yeah. that one per year was pretty, ended up being easier than you thought it was. Yeah. And it's, People are like, well, how do you have the time for that? Yeah. So um, that, that's always the number one question. Every house I buy, I budget in a property manager. So about 10% of the property income goes to a property manager. They don't get paid unless the house has a tenant in it. And so they're incentivized to have it filled. And also they get 10% of the rent. So they want to, they're incentivized to get it as rented as high as possible. So if, if the house doesn't make sense for me financially when I with a property manager, then I don't buy it. But if it does have a property manager, then it's really no effort. All I have to do is answer usually one email a month from the property manager. Hey, do you approve this hot water replacement? Yes or no? All I get is yes or no questions. It takes none of my time. So it's really hands-off and very, very passive, just like investing in a mutual fund. Let's go through the fire and coming up with your fire number. You mentioned that briefly earlier, but I want to dive into this a little. I'm not that worried about to defer today uh, for coming up with the fire number and for people to get our guide. I will give you links to figure that out. Obviously, you can buy Alan's book and he will walk through how to get the fire number. But I think we have to do this just a little bit, Alan, because there's two other questions that I have that kind of spring from this question. So for people just to take it to 101, what is this idea of coming up with your fire number? So this is the number where you can be financially independent mathematically. Uh, you take your annual expenses, multiply it by 25. And if you have that in some sort of savings, typically mutual funds, IRAs, stocks, some holdings, that you can withdraw 4% of that, that will cover your annual expenses for the rest of your life. And that's accounting for all the dips and valleys of uh, investing. That's with timing with the worst stock market crash possible. But if you've saved 25 times your annual, annual expenses, you can be financially independent. And this is also a reason why you like real estate, because even if the stock market goes down or the value of the house goes down, that income stream is really what you're worried about that you're living on that keeps you independent. Right. Let's say a house dropped in value from $200,000 to $150,000. That doesn't mean the rent drops from $2,000 to $1,500. The rent is usually pretty stable. If anything, if there's a real estate market crash, people lose their jobs, people lose their homes, and it creates more of a renter market. And it actually makes it better to have the rentals in the situation in a down economy. Yeah. And then the two things I had, because like I said, I'm not that worried about, about focusing too much on the number, but there's two pieces of this that I do want to dig into. Number one, you say there's some obviously some pretty big repercussions. One is if you lower your expenses, that makes that number easier. It makes everything easier. So one trick you can do is spend less money. You can, but to me, that means you are downgrading your lifestyle, right? You can sell your car and ride your bike. And depending on what city you're in, that's an upgrade. But most people, that's a downgrade to your lifestyle. But hey, you saved a car payment or you saved money on gas and you're closer to your fire number. 
the beauty of house fire says, well, you don't have to lower your expenses because the more houses that you own, typically the real estate appreciation is 3% a year after accounting for inflation. It's about one and a half percent. So you're actually making more money each month and your mortgages get paid off. Your rental, uh, what you charge in rent typically goes up just through inflation. So the longer you are house firing, you're actually living larger and larger in retirement. You go through different levels of fire, but there's some big ass fire term that you use. Hellfire. Hellfire. My goal is hellfire. Yes. If uh, hellfire stands for having every luxury in life and financially <laughs> independence and retire early. And that is having $500,000 budget every year. That's your annual expenses, $500,000. And if you do house fire, you start on it and you just buy one house a year, you'll be reaching hellfire uh, and, and earlier than you would expect. And that those are ridiculous numbers. It wasn't, that wasn't my goal uh, when I started. It was just to leave my day job. And now it's like, oh, wow, this just sort of feeds upon itself at this point. A lot of people say, hey, I want to get into real estate and I want to buy one. It, it sounds if we're taking one house and we're putting one bill, like you mentioned your internet bill with it, buying, but this isn't about buying one house, Alan, this is about buying several houses. So the most conservative way to invest in real estate is to buy a property in all cash or buy a rental property and do all you can to get rid of that mortgage, make extra payments. This is the fallacy that every real estate investor who's beginning and new wants to do. Let's say you have a $100,000 house and you paid off in all cash and well, it burns to the ground. Uh, congratulations, you lost $100,000. What I would say is it would have been less risky to take that $100,000, chop it up into $20,000 increments and go buy five homes. And if you burn one to the ground, wow, you only lost $20,000. But not only that, because you have a mortgage, a mortgage company is going to make you have home insurance and they will rebuild the home for you. So it's actually less risky. Just like buying one stock, you wouldn't put $100,000 in one stock if that's all the money you would have. You would buy a mutual fund or buy five stocks or whatever. You want diversity. And I say every property comes with a lottery ticket. And what I mean by that is appreciation. If you buy five homes, one of those homes in that school district, there's a new charter school that's wonderful, um, or a new park comes in, or a new subway stop, or wherever it is that you have no control of, this is called passive appreciation. If you can spread out those imaginary lottery tickets across five instead of one, you're, you're going to do all right, because then that one property now turns into a $200,000 property overnight and you did nothing. But if you have all your eggs in one basket, you're not spreading out uh, your risk and you're not getting all those imaginary lottery tickets. And with your strategy, you don't need the lottery ticket at all. I mean, because you're going for cash flow, not yeah, for that lottery yeah. ticket. That's just bonus appreciation to get you to your hellfire quicker. That's just the gravy on the biscuit. You should never buy a property based on that imaginary ticket payout, but it's just a, a bonus. But this also makes me think that this is more about if, if the magic is to have many different lottery tickets to have diversification, really, this is about systems. Like I think of, uh, I've got a friend that owns a uh, burger shop in town and he made one burger shop, not because that was going to make him a lot of money. He knew it wouldn't. But he knew that he needed a prototype so he could do five of these, right? Because he knew that if he did five right. of the burger shops, it was going to be better. I feel like that's the same thing here, right? It's about building a system around real estate so that you can continually improve, develop your team, and get this ball rolling. Yeah, you only really need one superstar team member. So if you have a superstar real estate agent or a superstar property manager or a superstar lender, they – 
surround themselves with other superstars and you just piggyback off their system. So what you should do is, hey, I want to invest in this town. Let me call the best top realtor in that town because that top realtor is going to know all the property managers, all the lenders, you know, the contractors, everything you need, right? The superstars just seem to hang out with each other. They know that they got their back and they're going to do a good job. So plug in, just find one superstar in your town or the town you want to invest in and piggyback off that network and they're happy to help you. I'm going to ask just a couple of questions here about the real estate market because you're in it every day. You know, we'd see some of these incredible prices right now, Alan, uh, you're seeing them all over the place and some of the bidding people are doing no <laughs> 20% above asking price or people are bidding, creating these crazy conditions. Like I, you know, I'll waive the inspection, which I think is nuts. Are you finding it harder to compete in real estate with these uh, conditions? Well, a lot of the headlines you see are for primary residence buying and not real estate investing. So um, a lot of those big stories are people willing to pay extra because they want that commute to work or they'll pay extra because they want that school district or they want to be close to family. That's not how a real estate investor would evaluate a property. A real estate investor is, hey, I don't care if the home's sexy. Is it sexy on a spreadsheet? So you don't see that crazy fervor as much in real estate investing properties, the duplexes, the triplexes, the quadruplexes, because all it comes down to are the numbers. What does it rent for or what can I get those rents to? And then what is my mortgage payment? And pretty much all the investors run their name, numbers very similarly. So there's there's a ceiling on real estate investing. You don't really get these 100000 over asking because then it's like, wait a minute, I bought this property and now it's losing money. So it's a different way to evaluate properties. And it's it's disassociated with buying a property to live in, which is a lifestyle, not an investment decision. And then your method, I mean, I get why you would go with buy and hold real estate because you're trying to create this this income stream that you can live off of, right? And it becomes easier all the time. Frankly, I, I would think that if you get long-term renters in, in there, even if you have a property manager who deals with the in and out, like that's even more gravy. But why not flip real estate? Why hold instead of flip? I support that too. Um, flipping real estate is windfall payments. So you're, you're, you're putting a lot of outgoing money, you're buying a property, a lot of outgo for renovations and contractors. And then at the end, you boom, you sell it and you get a windfall. I've done that. I do that. I encourage others to do this. The worries that you need to be aware of is it, this: you pay way more taxes this way because it's all short-term capital gains taxes. You don't get the tax breaks like a 1031. And also, if you're trying to do this while you have your day job, you're going up against people who do this as their full-time job. So a lot of times you're you, you're at a disadvantage going in. If you don't already have your teams, you don't have the construction crew, the architects, whatever you need up front, it's going to be difficult. So you maybe your first two or three flips are going to lose money or break even until you do get those systems in place. So it's not a weekend warrior thing like HGTV teaches a lot of people. People do this as their full-time job and that's who you're up against. And they're the ones who are going to get the deals faster. They can pay in all cash. They can move quick. They can get it back on the market in three months. And that's difficult to do if you're working 40 hours a week. Yeah, I felt that too, that that really you need flipping to be your, to be your full-time job if, if you're going to yeah, go about it yeah. that way. It, it just seems, 
I don't know if harder is the right word, but a great way to do it if you if this is interest is yours and it's not your full time job is to do a live and flip. And so the the con obviously you're working in a renovation and living in a renovation, but if you can live in a, find a property where you update the kitchen for a month and you eat out that month and then you live upstairs while you do the downstairs bedroom and flip flop, that's the way you can make great wealth because you're buying a primary residence loan which you can get for zero percent down, three percent down, five percent down, and then you're not on a tight schedule. Uh, you can work at your own pace. And then when you sell that property, if, as long as you've lived in it for two years, it's completely tax-free for the first $250,000 profit if you're single or $500,000 profit if you're married. So if you made $250,000 or $500,000 over those first two years, then you should just do this every single two years. You know what you're doing. I have uh, friends, they have two kids. So it's a family of four, Alan, doing this here in town. And they've done three during the time that I've known them. He's just interested in construction, loves doing a lot of the work himself. You know, the demo stuff is easy, but but even some of the construction stuff himself, he'll do the more difficult stuff, the electrical, the, you know, the crazy stuff he'll he'll hire in in people that know more than him. But for him, it's just a weekend thing. And his wife, Stephanie, is fantastic at decorating and at landscaping. So for two years, and they've done this three times, and it just for them, it's this great side income, right? It's not what you're talking about of building fire. It's just building extra money. And in that way, it's building money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're renovating their primary residence, so they're adding value to it. The hardest part about that model is finding a spouse that supports this uh, hope of moving every two years. That's right. Yeah, yeah, they are clearly married to the right person, both of them. Like they, they have. I don't think Cheryl and I could do that crap. There's no way (laughs) could do that. I've tried to convince my wife to move every two years, and it takes. We move about every seven years, so it takes me seven years of breaking down. Like, hey, let's go buy this other property. So he's got this long term gameplay going. (laughs) That's good. My last question is the opposite side of what we talked about. We've talked about all these things that people worry about, Alan, but they shouldn't. And you focus a lot on that in the book, but what are some things that people don't worry about but they really should? What's the converse of this discussion? I mean, I I think people... I, I struggle to answer this because it, I don't see the worry in anything. I mean, I, I don't. Um, I think people worry about, hey, is this a house I want to live in? And so they buy a house and then they fix it up and they're like, I want granite countertops I'm, and I want this to be pretty. When I tell my friends, hey, I own a rental house. Here's the address. Go drive by it. I want it to be the showpiece with a manicured lawn. And that is not a worry you should have. It should be the opposite of that. Like it's, hey, what is the rent going to support? Like if you add $5,000 granite countertops, are you going to be able to raise the rent 50 bucks a month? No, then don't do it. Your tenant's not upset. Most tenants don't know the difference between granite countertops or Formica or whatever it is because they've never experienced it. All they care about is I need a house that's close to my work, right? And I'll, I'll stay there forever, provide me a safe place. And people try to worry for their tenants. And uh, you'll know if you need to change something, if you put it on the market and you don't get any applications in the first two weeks, then maybe you got to change the price or you got to change something in the house. But um, I don't know if I exactly answered your question, but uh, I I don't have any worries about real estate because I, I I love it and I know every ins and outs. And I, I, if you surround yourself with that good team, like I said, they're going to be doing all the worrying and and suss everything out for you. I think you definitely clearly answered it because here's what I heard that people don't worry about enough. People don't worry enough about doing the math up front to make sure that this is actually going to achieve your goal. 
And you also don't worry enough about treating it like a business. Cause if you're treating it like your own home, you're not treating it enough like a business and people need to worry more about that. That's what I heard you say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. And everyone's like, what is this math? And it's so simple. Like I'm, right. I'm a dumb idiot and that's, I'm <laughs> successful in the real estate world. So th- this is really easy math. Uh, you don't have to have an engineering degree, but all it is, is what is my mortgage payment? What are my property taxes? Which usually are included in your mortgage payment. What is my, uh, home insurance, which also can be included in your mortgage payment if you escrow everything. And then I typically do 10% of the rental income, just take it off the top for vacancies or or repairs. You can do that again for repairs, 10% for repairs, 10% for vacancy. Those are very, very conservative numbers. You just take all that put it in a spreadsheet and then figure out what you can rent it for or what it's already rented for. And that Delta, that's how you go kill some bills with. It's going to be a hundred dollars. It's going to be $300. It's going to be $400. And the way I look at it, everyone gets analysis paralysis. But if you take that one bill that you hate in your life and just go buy a property that covers that bill, that that's the decision. That's all the decision. Sure. You can look for two years and maybe find a property that makes $160 a month instead of $150 a month. But then you just spent two years wasting your time when you could have been killing those bills or burning up those bills with house fire. Boy, I mean, that sounds like very intelligent math to me. And it's funny how people hear the word math and they think, oh, it's it's got to be tough. Math actually can be pretty damn fun. The book is House Fire. And I want to go to the back of the book. Well, first of all, there's a lot of people already. The book just came out and there's a lot of people already that are getting some huge benefits from it. It's rated 4.9 out of five on Amazon. I noticed today when I was getting ready for it. So ain't too shabby there, Mr. Corey, with the reviews. Reviews are looking good. But but on the back, you've got a couple people that uh, talk about your book on the back cover. Barbara Corcoran from uh, Shark Tank. Do you know Barbara personally? Uh, well, I taught her everything she knows. Um, <laughs> so I, I shouldn't no. have laughed. Why did I laugh? <laughs> I need to play that straight for you. <laughs> no. So, um, I flipped a building. It was an apartment building in Brooklyn, New York. And this was my third property I ever bought a storefront on the ground floor with two apartments up top, 25 year old kid with no money, but I found the deal. I found the partners. I found the contractor. I was just the glue that kept it all together. And, um, She bought it herself uh, once it was fully renovated, sold the first million dollar property in Red Hook, Brooklyn. And at that point, I was like, wait a minute, am I making a mistake selling to Barbara Corcoran, who knows everything from from Shark Tank? And, and, you know, she owns Corcoran at the time or Corcoran brokerage. Or am I doing something right? You know, like, should should I take this as a a confidence thing uh, or am I making a mistake because Barbara's buying my property? So anyway, she bought my property and then we've just sort of been in touch, uh, you know, here and there ever since. So she's, she's, she's wonderful and great and a mentor. Uh, You know, I read all of her books. and, and That is fantastic. That's a cool story too. I didn't know any of that. And then second from, of course, a guy who's been on this show a bajillion times, I feel like, Brandon Turner. And uh, and I know you're friends with Brandon, Josh, and and David and the team over there at Bigger Pockets as well. Uh, yeah. So Brandon interviewed me um, before he worked at Bigger Pockets for my first book, A Million Bucks by 30, when he had a website called Real Estate in his 20s, in, Real Estate in your 20s. And so I also say, I, I taught Brandon Turner everything he knows as well. <laughs> nice job. You are a ninja with that, dude. That is so awesome. <laughs> Well, Alan, and the book is available where? Books available everywhere? It's available everywhere, uh, but Amazon's obviously the easiest for most people. Yeah, awesome. Alan Corey, thanks a ton for talking House Fire with us. I'm so inspired, and I hope you inspired a lot of our audience. I really appreciate your time. 
I appreciate it, Joe. Does this mean I have to go hang out with your mom again? <laughs> I'll go up there with us because I think there's brownies. Okay. So we got to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Perfect. Perfect. I'm Jen from the Frugal Friends podcast. And when I'm not cutting the end of the toothpaste tube off to get that last little bit of toothpaste, I'm stacking Benjamins. Thanks again to Hal and Corey for stopping by. Oh, oh, gee, that's some powerful stuff right there. I love this idea that it's really about what motivates you, right? I mean, what motivated Alan was this internet bill. What, what motivates you might not be uh, podcasting from your car. Uh, it can be anything that motivates you to get to get on the path. Also, internet would motivate me at this point. I think this stuff is super powerful because we underappreciate, you know, a couple, I don't know, a couple, three weeks ago, we were talking about the subscription thing, right? And how, you know, 20 bucks of this and 50 bucks of that and eight bucks of that and $12 of that. And then how that also bleeds into credit card payments and, and payments in general, car payments and whatever. And you go, I can afford 100 a month. I can afford 300 a month. I can afford 500 a month. I can afford 800 a month. And all of those little things add up to all sorts of money. And what he's done here is do that the exact opposite backwards way of thinking of it, which is let me figure out those things that I want to get rid of and recognize that, hey, 50 bucks a month doesn't seem like a lot, but I never have to pay my internet bill again. $200 a month is not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but I never have to worry about food ever again because that thing's already covered. And if we want to take the approach of I can afford $50 a month or I can, I can have all these subscriptions. Why not spin it on its head and do the exact same thing, but backwards and say, well, if, if 50 bucks is nothing to spend, then it's also, it's also worth earning and think of it from that approach, which I think is super fantastic. And the other thing that that does too, is it makes it so while you're mindful spending, you don't have to, you don't have to cheapen your lifestyle if you don't want to OG. I mean, this thing we said on Monday about just go make more money. I said it, a little flippantly, but that's what Alan's doing. He just went out and goes out and makes a little more money. Yeah. There's, you know, this way there's other entrepreneurial ventures. There's other side hustle type things. There's the very uncomfortable asking your boss for a pay raise type of idea. You know, there's all sorts of ways to move some top line stuff to the bottom line. And what's interesting about thinking about your cash flow from a fixed perspective is that if you do make extra money, all of that goes to the bottom line. Think about it like a business. Let's say that you have a business that generates $100,000 a year of revenue and you have $80,000 of expenses. So you have $20,000 of profit, right? So 20, 20% profit margin. If this year your business goes out and makes $10,000 more in terms of sales with no extra costs, it's still $80,000. You go, well, I made $10,000. Yes, you made ten thousand more dollars, so now you have thirty instead of twenty, right? But you made fifty percent more profit because all of that money from the top line goes right to the profit to line. the bottom line. Yeah, there's no expense associated with it along the way, so you don't have to. There, you can lower your lifestyle, you can spend less money, and that will affect your profit margin also. Or if you make small changes on the top end, then that goes immediately to the bottom line, and from a percentage standpoint it's quite profound in a hurry. So I'm a big fan of taking little things, big projects and turning them into like little sort of goals. My wife knows this about us around like home remodel stuff and, you know, things that we have kind of on our want list. I look at it and say, okay, we want to do this painting project in the house. It costs X dollars. Here's how we're going to kind of put the money together over a period of time. And we're going to do it in $1,500 increments. And it seems really 
inconsequential in $1,500 increments, but here's this guy proving that when you do it that way, you turn into a pretty, pretty successful business. So I like it. Yeah. Powerful. And uh, at the same time, not optimized, but who cares? I mean, it's just keep going forward, forward, forward. Don't spend so much time optimizing, spend more time moving. Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline on you and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Square footage and gigabit speed. <laughs> I thought it was your loved ones and your time, because right now it seems to me you're loving your loved ones. I am always, always happy to spend time with family. And that's why, oh, gee, they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple for after the accident. No, that's horrible. Uh, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Their application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable and all their policies issued by one of the granddaddies, Mass Mutual, over uh, 140 years old. And today we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Bill. Say hi, Bill. Hey guys, this is Bill in New York. First, I'm one of the few that have actually learned something. So go figure. And thank you all for that. Anyway, this is a nerd question on rebalancing. My plan is to have 40% bonds and cash, 40% U.S. stocks, 10% international, 10% real estate, all in ETFs. Sorry, Len, no gold. If it gets that bad, I plan to rip the gold from my teeth. And anyway, I have a few barrels of oil I picked up when oil was negative in my basement. So I'm good to go. I plan to rebalance twice a year. My first question is, should I skip a rebalancing if the percentages are close, in air quotes? For example, my international stocks are 10.9 versus 10, and my real estate is 11.2 versus the goal of 10. Trading cost is not a factor, so what should I do? And the other question is, is there an account that should take priority? I have funds in non-taxable, tax-deferred, and taxable accounts. My thinking is... Don't do it in taxable accounts because I need to pay capital gains. If I have a loss, then take it from the taxable account. Again, thank you for your show and help me find my inner nerd. Oh, and I know I'm getting a code, but I'm an extra large tall man. Just saying. <laughs> thank you, Bill. Great call. Fantastic take. And glad to hear your voice. Uh, let's dive in, OG. This idea of rebalancing, I love this question. When do you need to rebalance and when should you let it go? Notwithstanding the 40% that's in bonds, I'll let that slide across the plate. Boo. But hey, I if think, he doesn't think, need, I mean, let's what? back off that for a second. If he doesn't need any type of a high return and he's very worried about risk, he's not worried about the market. He's worried about him. What's wrong with that? It doesn't solve the problem. If you're trying to use fixed income to solve volatility issues, then that means that you need to have more money that's safe, you know, like in cash. All you're going to do is actually increase your risk with where interest rates are and bond prices are now versus equities. You're not you're not picking up anything. I think that's the big myth of fixed income, especially now. Well, then without messing with his allocation. Uh, well, I'm not going to mess with it. You right. 60-40, you can have 60-40. This is the impact of rebalancing on a set frequency, which is, again, back to what we talked about in the headline segment, super easy to do and super simple to set your watch by, right? I'm going to rebalance once a year or twice a year, whatever. By the way, no statistical evidence of rebalancing more frequently than once a year produces better results. So if you rebalance once, twice, 10 times, 32 times, same results. So less is more in this. But 
you've run into a question, which I think is also important. What happens if everything goes up or everything goes down and my allocations are about the same? Where do I draw the line? And I think that you have to have a parameter, some parameters around that. We use 20%, not that it's right or wrong, but it helps with trading costs when those were an issue. And also, like you mentioned, taxes. So if something's at 10, we'll let it go to 12 or 8. Gotcha. Anything between 8 and 12 is fine. You know, 20% of that number. You know, if you have 40% in your large company uh, U.S. stocks, 20% of that is 8%. So we'll go from 32 to 48. So as long as it's in that range, that's perfectly acceptable. So there's periods of time where you're right. You could go 18 months, 24 months without rebalancing ever because it'll still be in there in that range. But inevitably, there will be a market sector, whether it's fixed income or you know, real estate or, you know, one of these other ones that he mentioned, international or U.S., where something will underperform or overperform, which also happens. So just keep your eye on it. But I think it's fine to, you know, kind of set your watch and say, every six months, I'm going to take a peek. And if it's not within this parameter, it doesn't have to be 20, it could be 10, you know. But if something was 10 and it's 10.9, I wouldn't bother with the math. This circles back, I think, to the beginning of our show, OG, when we talked about making things easy, just looking at it twice a year and giving yourself that 20% swing either way also is kind of like hitting the easy button. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty much what I said, but I'm glad you were listening. <laughs> I'm just connecting the dots for the rest of us who aren't yes. nearly as brilliant as you are. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> and then the second half of his question is there one type of account that it makes more sense to rebalance in than another? So the 401k IRAs versus non IRAs. Well, you have to be aware of taxes, but remember, you know, taxes aren't the biggest issue. The asset allocation is the biggest issue. So don't let the potential of having to pay a few dollars in taxes sway you from having a, uh, a correct allocation because the penalty for overweighting or underweighting something is more severe than the tax bill would be depending on what your tax rates are already or your income and that sort of thing, you may pay no taxes anyway on capital gains. And at most, presently, it's 20%. So the likelihood of having having a, a large, large, large tax bill is pretty remote. But even if you did, that means you made a lot of money. So that's okay too. You know, I think people look at taxes as this thing like that must be avoided at all costs. And while I think that taxes eat into your profits for sure, the cost of not rebalancing or the cost of having an asset allocation that's out of whack is far greater than the small amount of income taxes that you would pay for profiting on on the transaction. Look at something as simple as Bitcoin. You know, we were talking about crypto in your 401k before, but if you bought 5% of your portfolio of Bitcoin and it goes up 700% and you go, well, I don't want to sell any of that because I'm going to have to pay some taxes. And then it gets cut in half. It goes from 60,000 back down to 30,000 and, you know, Bitcoin pricing, right? You gave up 50% of your gain to avoid a maximum of a 20% tax on the profits. You know, that just doesn't make any sense. So don't use that as a crutch. Be okay with rebalancing along the way. Thanks for the question, Bill. And of course, Gertrude's going to send you out a code for being brave enough to call in. And congratulations on being an extra large tall man. <laughs> way, to, way to eat your Wheaties, my friend. 
That's going to put a lid on today's show. Hey, thanks for everybody who's left us a review of the show. We've had uh, so many of you kind people that uh, love what we do reach out. I know for me, I don't think about leaving reviews on shows that I like. And if you do, please give us a five-star review and let people know when they come to the Stacking Benjamin Show what they're getting into. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Listen to this one, OG, that mom has on the refrigerator this morning. And I know usually you take a look at this as you're on your way down to the basement, but not today. Big Daddy Dave just gave us five stars and said, entertaining and informational, great show. That's it. Just like our messages earlier today, short, sweet, and very simple. Just very simple and to the point. Thank you for that, uh, Big Daddy Dave, and for everybody who's given us a review. And by the way, I didn't have anybody do this last week. We had quite a few reviews last week. But we did not have anybody write to me last week and say that they gave us a review. Uh, I'm trying to give away some of these books. So if you give us a five-star review, I don't want you to give us one if you don't think it's a five-star show. But if you take the time to do something you've been meaning to do for a long time, feel free to write me and say, hey, Joe, I wrote you one. We'll put your name in the hat and give away uh, books. We gave them away the first three weeks. We did this and then uh, none this week, although I think we've got, what, seven reviews last week? So thanks for that. All right. Last but not least, if you're somebody looking to make better decisions in the rest of 2021, we are rounding the corner right now into the second half of 2020. I feel like we just started 2021 and now we're halfway through. If time's just slipping by and you need to do better, well, get better people in your corner. See if OG and his team are a fit. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG. That's the link to their calendar and how you can hire them as your financial planning team. All right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. Crypto? It might be a while before we see that in your 401k, but even if your company doesn't automatically increase contributions or give you a great match, you can find ways to schedule your own bonuses on your calendar and also raise the amount you save. Second, Take a lesson from Alan Corey. Real estate is an excellent way to reach your financial goals, but make sure to also be aware of the risks, mainly that real estate is much less liquid than other investment vehicles. But the big lesson? All right, all right, I got it, people. Corey isn't actually lighting things on fire. He says fire is financial independence, retire early. But after that interview, I think it should stand for find investable real estate. Who's with me? Oh man, I totally nailed it again, didn't I, Joe? Hashtag crushing it. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. If you'd like to get your start in real estate, you might want to check out Alan Corey's book, House Fire, Financial Independence, Retire Early, How to Be a Red Hot Real Estate Millionaire with a Wealth of Time and Money to Burn, wherever fine books are sold. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. 
Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe, and it's all free. It's called The Stacker, and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, saying, and let's all say it together now. Three, two, one. See ya. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. OG, knowing that you were getting on the road after Monday's recording and not knowing what was coming next, I thought of you as, uh, well, let's listen in to what I was thinking was life in the OG car. Clark, I think we're lost. We're not lost. Helen, will you please let me do the driving? I honestly don't think you're going to find the Grand Canyon on this road. It's only the biggest hole in the world. Clark, watch your language. I think that's the second biggest. Dad, I haven't seen a car for an hour. Oh, shut up, Audrey. You don't think Dad knows where he's going. Thank you, Russ. You're lost. Ma, I saw some detour signs. I didn't see any. I saw them when you and Mom were trying to fold the map. Audrey, when they close the road, they put up big signs, like this one. I can't help but think that's what life is like uh, riding with the OG family across country. My favorite part about that scene is the very end where he has one beer and he gives it gives his kid a sip and his kid crushes the entire thing <laughs> that like the next part of that uh, scene right there he's like you want a sip and he like just chugs the whole thing and his dad doesn't have anything but uh, i like how i like how audrey and rusty and every one of those movies was played by different kids yeah our road trips aren't that bad and sorry for the uh, outside noise now i've been sitting in the car and now i'm going to be one of those statistics if i don't open the door so now we get road noise and uh, the sounds of nature 
also on the recording today. But um, I was very proud uh, of two things, by the way, OG. Number one, that we were part of that NTSB campaign. People probably heard those PSAs on the show recently about not please don't leave your kids in cars and uh, please please don't leave an OG in a car. So, yes, that's the other part of it. The traveling for us is so ingrained now because we've done this trip so many times that it's just like we just go, well, okay. It's time for the suck. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, we just go and you just know, suck it up, Buttercup. Probably, yeah. Very rarely do we get a. Are we there yet? You know, but uh, that's good. That's a well-trained family. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. You know, they know it's not going to go any faster. So, so I don't know, man. Yep. I I just remember when I was a kid. Every time we would just leave a rest area, we would be five minutes out from the rest area, and my little sister Nikki, who you'll hear open some of these shows, Nikki would always say, I got to go potty. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. would almost always stop twice. My, uh, my dad was a truck driver for his career. And, uh, I remember my brother, <clears throat> you know, how you have like little memories from when you were really little, like just a few, yeah. you know, I have one memory with, of my little brother, not steak brother, the one, the other one. And, um, we had done that. My dad was a truck driver. So we, you know, he didn't stop very often, but when he did, you stop for an extended period of time. And we had just stopped and my brother goes, I have to go potty. And my dad's like, I don't want to tell you about that because we just stopped and we are going. And so he pooped in a coffee can. And that's, oh, how, he mo. Was, that's, how, that's how my brother was potty trained oh. because he, he was, he was still in diapers at that time. And so he potty trained himself into going number two in a, Emptied out coffee can. That, that says a lot about the psychology of, of your family, which is a lot like this, which is a lot like this family right here. When I was your age, my dad shared a beer with me and I thought it was about the best thing in the world. Yeah. When I was a boy, just about every summer we'd take a vacation. And you know, in 18 years, we never had fun. But now I have my own family, and, well, we're on our own vacation. And you know something, Russ? What that? We're going to have fun. <laughs> we're going to have fun. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, 
Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.